You can hopefully note in this service that we spend a little bit of time looking back to 2022. In that song, we are looking ahead to joining uh, with all people in the resurrection when Jesus returns. And now I want to spend a little while looking ahead just to the year to come, the year that we hope God will continue to lead and guide us as individuals and as River Park Church. I want to share a few thoughts before we get to the text this morning, which is James chapter 1. And you can see behind me that we're beginning a new sermon series this morning as well, which is, uh, let's climb. It's an invitation to an active faith life. It strikes me as interesting that as we start this new year, a number of churches decided over the past two weeks to cancel services on, on, on the Sundays, right? On these special Christmas Day and New Year's Day services. We didn't have a service on New Year's Eve. Maybe that struck you as well. I'll say from the top that I think the easy and the wrong explanation is that uh, these people, or these churches who did this, uh, they just love Jesus less. That's the temptation, isn't it? To think that, well, they just canceled the services because they're just going the way of the world, they're caring about other things. There's always that temptation for us as people, I think. When we look around, uh, and we see this in history, where people look around and they say, well, the people who don't believe exactly like me, who don't behave exactly like me, or who don't emphasize the things that I emphasize, well, they're just wrong. Or maybe they're even heretics. But one of the first things we learn when we try to love people who are different from us and become a mosaic community is that my way is just one way. It's not questioning the truth, the absolute truths of the Bible. It's humbly admitting that I don't see everything and I don't obey God fully. I think it would be far more accurate to say that different generations uh, and different ethnic people have different needs and different challenges in our lives. 2023 is the first year that we're going to begin with the pandemic fully behind us. We don't know what's to come, but the last number of years, we started and we were in the middle of something. And so as we enter this new year, maybe we wonder about the shape of the world. We wonder about the shape of the church. What does God have for River Park Church, for our denomination, for the church in the West in general? What does God have for me, for you as individuals or families? We all, I think, either explicitly or perhaps implicitly know and have experienced how the world has changed, how the scenery around us has changed. I would contend that the world has been changing for quite some time. As Western culture changes, so all of us are changed as well. But that, the upheaval related to the pandemic really accelerated that change and also made it more obvious and more established for all of us to see. And so one of the big changes that began already a long time ago, but that has accelerated and become more obvious and established, is people's relationship with institutions. The boomer generation in Western culture has a long and trusting relationship with institutions, as do other generations before that. And that includes the church. By contrast, millennial generations, I'm on the tail end of it, and those generations that follow have a more distrusting or distant relationship with institutions. 
And people in Gen X, are the, those who are born in the 60s and the 70s, are stuck somewhere in the middle. Now, this is a far more nuanced conversation than that we need to have together. I can't explain it all or, or go into all the depths of it in the introduction to a new sermon series. Maybe this makes sense to you, or maybe you're wondering, why is he talking about all of this? What does this have to do with anything? Well, I'll ask for a little faith and a little openness as we start a new sermon series and start a new year. Because in part, one of the temptations we experience in the Christian life is a temptation toward inertia. You can see behind me that inertia actually looks quite beautiful some of the time, doesn't it? Inertia, the dictionary says, is a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. We want to fully understand before we even take one step forward. Or we want other people to change, to make different decisions, to live their life differently before we take one step forward. But this is not the life of faith that God calls his people to especially not in a changing world. Pastor Harrison and I have entitled this series, Let's Climb, because we're trying to look over the next seven weeks or so at practical steps for the journey of faith that God has for us. And we think that James, the book of James, outlines some of those practical steps pretty well, especially in the fight against inertia, against doing nothing. Many of you know, I think, either from experience or just you understand that if you want to go on a hike, You need to prepare, and you need to engage your whole body. The steeper the climb, the harder the hike, the more fully you have to prepare and engage. So if you're going to go for a walk around a beautiful lake, you might go by yourself, and you might not prepare much. But if you're going to climb a mountain, well, you need not only personal strength and preparation, but you need a knowledgeable and experienced partner or group to go with you. So what about the journey of the Christian life? Do we think that the Christian life is a hill that gently slopes downward? Well, Jesus says the opposite, actually. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter into it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If you picture the Christian life as a broad and gently sloping road, you're going to be discouraged. You'll be stopped at every turn. Not because of the terrain, not because the the road is too difficult, but because you are not prepared. Each new year, for example, people make all kinds of New Year's resolutions. One of the most common that I googled is the resolution to become healthier, to eat healthier. Any of you made that resolution and already broken it? Oh, I won't ask you to put up your hand. But when we make resolutions like that, usually we don't fail because the resolution is unrealistic or impossible. If we fail, it's because we're unprepared and because we try without support, without the help of others. James equips believers with the tools that we need in order to hike the road of faith together. In this short book that we're going to look at, he offers personal tools that we need and interpersonal tools that we need. Not physical tools, of course, but attitudes of our heart. Activities 
for our lives. Most of all, James regularly reminds us that if we stop moving, we don't actually remain in the same place. If we stop moving, we lose ground. We cannot progress only with good words or good preparations. The climb of faith that James describes requires active obedience to God. Again, if you imagine going on a hike, the further you climb, the further you go, the more new scenery you see. And actually, that's kind of the point, isn't it? When you go on a hike, you want to see change. You have a view from your home. You have a view from your vehicle. But the the idea of going on a hike is you want a different view. You want the scenery to be different. And so the same is true of the Christian life. And as we climb, as we walk, we not only see new scenery and new things around us, but we also begin to be transformed inside as well. In the same way that a picture of a mountain view, right? I could pull out my phone and show you a picture and say, oh, isn't it so beautiful? Well, that's nothing compared to the real thing. So also James says that faith without deeds is dead. To the degree that we act out our faith, that is how strong and how deep our faith is. Our words mean nothing or become empty by ourselves, by themselves, excuse me. And if we think that our empty words will vindicate us or prove us right, then we deceive ourselves. In the same way that we can't climb successfully if our hearts aren't in it. Going through the motions won't get you up the mountain. I started this sermon this morning with this information about our changing culture because I think that what we are experiencing as Christians today is new scenery. It's a newly developing world and worldview around us. And we can react with fear or judgment. We can point fingers and say, well, some people are following the way of the world and others of us are, we're fully following Jesus. We can be immovable. We can suggest that, well, everybody else is changing, right? But not me. But if we're walking with Jesus, or better yet, if we're hiking with Jesus, then we had better hope and intend that we are changed. Change by its nature is unstable. That doesn't make it wrong or bad. It just means it requires wisdom. And so as we go through the journeys of life, we are all changed. God wants you to be changed. He doesn't want you to be the same tomorrow that you are today or next year that you are this year. God wants to transform each of us. But the moment that we look around at others, look to our world and start pointing our fingers and say, well, no, you really need to be changed more or you need to do things differently. That's the moment we take our eyes off Jesus. Maybe you know the story of Peter in the Sea of Galilee with a storm all around him. The moment he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to slip and fall and uh, sink. So the way forward we're suggesting in this series is simple, and then I'm going to say it in a sentence in just a minute, but it's also difficult. It's a challenging road. But here's what it is. That if each of us is consumed and focused on our own spiritual growth, then we don't have to worry about forcing or pressuring other people to change. 
If each of us is focused on our own spiritual growth, then we don't have to force or pressure others to change. Remember Jesus' words that don't look at the speck in your brother's eye, first deal with the log in your own eye. Jesus isn't talking about carpentry, of course. He's talking about the attitudes of our hearts. Will we wait for others to change? Followers of Jesus can't afford that kind of inertia, that kind of sitting around tempting or being tempted to do nothing. Instead, if and when others do change, we believe in the Reformed tradition that it will be because God works in their hearts. Because God shows them something beautiful and powerful about himself, maybe even through us. This is the difference between legalism and love. Legalism demands that other people change based on the law, based on some specific set of instructions. But love, love always goes beyond what the law requires. In love, we draw others into desiring to do what God says is right, rather than trying to force them. And so we're also freed ourselves from the pressure to try and change anybody else. We're able to focus every area of our own lives on Jesus, on the life, the joy, and the changes that he has for us, for me, and for you. All of what I've been saying this morning is talking around what James really says in his introduction to our text this morning. And so with all of that already said, I want to just slowly read through these first eight verses of the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given also to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not receive, expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James is trying to keep us from double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is asking God for something, and then either doing nothing with that request, or also trying to answer our own request in our own strength. In other words, double-mindedness is asking God for something without any trust or any expectation that God will actually answer your request. James reminds us that we will face trials, that we will experience change and difficulty in our lives and in our world. Do we trust and expect that God actually cares about those trials? Or do we imagine and experience that we are alone in our struggles? Some of our trials, of course, are interpersonal. But many of our trials are simply a result of change in our world. The people we love die. Children grow up. People move away. 
We lose a job. We have to find work elsewhere. The economic or political or social dimensions of the place we live or our lives or society fluctuates in such a way that causes harm and pain to us. We don't have to look far to find trials of many kinds. And always, I think, as people, we're tempted to fight against these trials and changes. And by this, I mean that we're tempted to prevent the change from happening, to try to force things to go back to the way they used to be. My friends, it's not 2022 anymore. And no matter how much you loved last year or last decade or the decades before, we can't go back. So rather than fight against all of the trials and changes in our world, James offers two amazingly simple responses. Joy, which he starts with, and wisdom, which he ends with in this little introduction. Joy and wisdom. I'll just have a brief comment about both before we close. First, joy. Maybe you watched the World Cup over the last month. December was last month already, remember? It's upsetting, isn't it? Our whole world, it seemed, was captivated by soccer last year. And I watched one of the games, I watched several of the games, but I watched the Morocco and France game, and one of the commentators, somewhere in the middle of the game, made an offhanded comment that really struck me. He said uh, something about going home to the millions of fans, no, the billions of fans who are watching. And it shocked me because he was right. Billions of people were watching that game. Billions of people were overjoyed when Argentina won the World Cup. Or maybe when Lionel Messi won the World Cup. But we've already moved on, haven't we? Maybe we've moved on to the World Junior Hockey Championship and Team Canada and all that's happening there right now. Or maybe we've already, we're already thinking about the Australian Open for tennis, just around the corner. Maybe we've moved on to something totally different, something personal in your own life. My point is just that the moments of joy in our world tend never to last. In fact, I was reminded of a story about a tennis player who won Wimbledon at 17 years old. Maybe, arguably, the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world. After he hoisted the, the cup, the prize for winning at Wimbledon, he said in an interview that he went back to his hotel balcony and contemplated jumping to his death. He said, I caught it. I realized my dream. But is this it? What now? Those were his questions after the moment of joy and all that hard work was realized. See, year after year, no matter what changes, no matter how quickly the changes come, our world has a stunning lack of any joy that lasts. Maybe you are gathered here this morning and you're thinking that the people who aren't at church are having more fun. Maybe you're thinking the opposite. You're thinking to, the, to, to yourself that if only people came and worshipped with us this morning, they might know the joy of the Lord more fully. But I want to suggest to you that the more important question is, why are you here? 
Are you here because you think it's important to worship, because it's your habit? Maybe it's a matter of pride or responsibility. But are you here because you are filled with the joy of the Lord? Are you here because you want to be filled with the joy of the Lord? That's what James calls us to. Be joyful. Consider it a joy when you face trials of many kinds. And not just a joy, but pure joy. Nothing but joy. And what about wisdom? The author of Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. And one of the authors and preachers who I appreciate describes wisdom this way. He says it's the right thing at the right time and for the right reason. And so when you look at our changing world or when you look at your own changing life, maybe you don't know what to do. Do you look to God for wisdom? Do you look to God for guidance? If you look to God, and I think I can say when you look to God, are you willing to do what he calls you to do? When he calls you to do it? And for the reasons that he offers? Are you willing to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, as God leads? Or do you also look elsewhere for other answers? Maybe you try to motivate others out of guilt or obligation, or you let your frustration or confusion or anger sort of hang in the air and wait for somebody else to deal with it or to respond. James reminds us as we start this new year that that is an unstable way of moving forward. In fact, it's so unstable that we don't really move forward at all. I want to say one more thing before we close this morning. And it's not that maybe this is just too much for not even being 12 years into a new year. But as I want to remind you as we close that we're calling this series Let's Climb because we need to be prepared as God's people for the journey of faith that God has for, it, for us. And we need to walk that road together. As we continue through this series, Pastor Harrison and I are going to highlight temptations that keep us from journeying with God. Individual temptations, communal temptations. And so I'm going to end today with the first temptation in this series, the temptation toward complaining. At any point, we're tempted toward inertia, which I said is the temptation to stop moving or to, to not move forward, a lack of movement. But do you want to know what the first sign of inertia is, in people at least? The first sign of inertia is complaining. You may be tempted to complain, and I baited you a little bit, about church attendance on Sunday. You may be tempted to complain about the work that remains and uh, for us as a church or for your own life. You may be tempted to complain about others. They're doing things you don't like. They seem to have it unfairly easy. Many other reasons. But complaining will keep you from joy. You cannot complain about your situation and experience the joy of the Lord in your situation. Complaining will keep you from wisdom. You cannot say, oh, woe is me. And also grow in a deeper understanding of yourself and your relationship with God and the world around you. And finally, complaining will keep you from moving forward. Complaining always will ensure that you never have to do anything to move or to change. You can just pin the responsibility on someone or something else. 
So instead of complaining, instead of falling into the temptation to just sit, even if we sit in a beautiful place, let us follow the example of Jesus, who emptied himself out of love for others. He continued to do the work that God had for him, even though it cost him every hour of every day and eventually cost him his life. But to close with James's words, Jesus let perseverance finish its work so that he was mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus did everything he set out to do because of his perfect perseverance. So let's commit in this new year to follow Jesus' example as we close together in prayer. Please pray with me. Father God, we are here on this special Sunday, January 1, that only comes, well, it won't come again for 11 years. And I believe that you have big things for River Park Church in 2023. That you are calling us to a journey, not where the road is uh, easy, where the road is flat and wide, but you are calling us to a narrow road, to a climb. There will be challenges. We celebrate that as we begin this new year, that you are with us. You are our perfect guide, our perfect companion. That you have gone before us and that you continue to walk through your Holy Spirit with us along the road, along the journey. So God, as a community and as individuals, we ask this morning that you would go with us. Be our guide. When we are tempted to sit down out of frustration, when we're tempted to uh, give over to complaint, wait for somebody else to move, tug on our hearts, Lord. Remind us of your love and your commitment, your perseverance in love for us. And lift us, take us by the hand, and lead us on as we walk with you. Be the vision that goes before us and the hand at our back as well, guiding us and supporting us along the way. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.